If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. We're picking up where we left off at last week. The issue that's under consideration in this is a boasting problem. Now, this isn't a sermon on boasting, but it touches on it. This is something that Corinth had an issue with. Now, you say, wait a second, Corinth had an issue with all kinds of things. Yes, they did. But I promise you, they're no different than you and I. I think probably what set Corinth apart from other churches was the fact that they might have been a little bit more open about their sin than what a lot of people were. I want to read the first nine verses of chapter 1. If you'd look at this with me, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you are enriched in Him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Corinth is a wayward church, a lot of problems. One of the problems that they had gotten caught up in Because Hellenistic society, forgive me if I can't talk today, Hellenistic society had transferred into Roman rule and had stayed, but the idea of being a great orator was very appealing. People like it when you can speak good. Some of you got that. Some of you did not. And our prayer list just got full. But being able to speak well is attractive. In fact, if you had your choice between someone who had elegant language or someone who stuttered often and never looked at you in the eyes, which one would you choose? See, we would never stop and ask, well, what are they saying? We miss that. And I think this is important for us to understand. That actually draws back a veil on our hearts about how self-centered I am about my churchiness. Now, I don't remember who this was, so I can use this example. But if it was you, don't yell and scream and raise your hand or anything. Somebody said, I invited somebody to church. I said, that's great. They said, they got to hear you preach. I said, why? What if Chuck was preaching that Sunday? Chuck and I have very different styles. Very different ways we express ourselves. 
But there was a danger that had cropped up in Corinth that seemed like that they were subscribing to a man rather than a message. And that's a problem. And so being the wise theologian that Paul is, he understands that if he's going to correct a wayward church, he needs to remind them of who they are in Christ first. And that is so important. And we can never know it enough. And here's the reason why. There is not a moment that the devil doesn't rest, or doesn't, doesn't, isn't active. He never rests. He's always after you, and if you think he's not, he's probably got you. I'm telling you. Because if he can get you to buy into a lie, if he can simply cast a thought into your mind, you say, why in the world am I thinking this thought? It's not your thought. He's trying to lead you in this direction. Anybody think that Eve knew the full ramifications of what she was getting ready to do when she did it? No, but that's what temptation is, isn't it? Don't you want this? Don't you want this? You cross the line. Can't believe you did that. Can't believe you did that. That's Satan. He entices you in one direction. And then when you step into the realm of reaping consequences, he accuses you. He's the accuser. That's what he does. He's known by his name. So Paul understands, I've got to reestablish everyone. And who they are in Christ. Now let's look through this beautiful little list in case you didn't mark it last week so that we understand. Because if you will notice in verse 2, at the very end he says, With all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. That means you and I are included in the truths about the Corinthians. So notice the first thing that he brings up, verse 2. They've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now remember, we talked about how important this in Christ idea is. It's a changing of location, and it's the granting of a new identity, and it is completely by the undeserved grace of God. You're no longer dirty old you. Nobody thinks that's funny? Maybe you know you. It's too real. You're now brand new you. But you're brand new you in Christ because of what Christ has done. Not because you held to a New Year's resolution. It's March 1st. How's everybody doing with your New Year's resolutions? You talk about futility of the flesh. There it is on full display. Everything that we were going to do, we're probably not doing anymore. Unless we're reaping some crazy good benefit to appease ourselves, then we, we're all about doing that because it's fun. You know, I'm going to eat more chocolate cake this year. Well, <laughs> you're going to be gung-ho on that one, brother, right? <laughs> no, we've been sanctified in Christ. Set apart. Set apart from the world. Set apart from sin. Set apart from death. We're also saints. Notice that word. By calling. Holy ones. You are holy in God's sight. That's your standing. When God looks your direction, He sees you covered in Christ. And because Christ covers you completely, there's no part of you that repulses Him anymore. None. He brought you into relationship and fellowship 
with himself through his son. Notice what it says in verse 4. I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God given to you. You're a recipient of grace in Christ Jesus. Verse 5. In everything you have been enriched in all speech and knowledge. That means that you're wealthy. You are wealthy in all speech and knowledge. You say, how in the world that is? I don't, I don't, I'm not somebody who would easily get up and say anything. I have a hard time holding conversation with people. It's not about your ability. It's about the content of what you've got to talk about now. You've got so much greater things to say than you ever did before. Why? Because your conversation's no longer about you. We love telling people our achievements, don't we? We love telling them how we've made something work, how we've met a certain goal, how good we're doing. But for some reason, when Jesus comes up in a conversation, everybody gets weird. You ever wondered why? Jesus is just the odd guy in the room. Why is that? Why is it any time that the name Jesus is brought up anywhere on the face of the earth, everybody gets just a little bit sweaty and they can feel their toes kind of doing this in their shoes? Oh gosh, it just got hot in here all of a sudden. Why is that? Anybody know? Because when you introduce Jesus into a situation, into a conversation... There's less of us to talk about. That's really what it boils down to. I'm having to address a subject that I might not be as readily familiar with, and that's okay, but I would much rather talk about a subject that I am familiar with, and that is me. I'm doing really great in meology. I'm getting an F in theology. And that's a problem. Notice that Paul's letting them know it's all available to you. It's all available by His grace. And now that you're in Christ, you have access full and free to the library of grace that is the person of Christ Jesus. You can actually talk about eternal things now. Look what it says. So that you're not lacking in any gift, verse 7. You don't lack in any gift. Now, I believe that was talking about church-wide. Every single person in this room, if you're a redeemed person, has a spiritual gift. This church has at least one of the 12 active gifts for this present dispensation of the church. We do not lack in anything. Now, we're going to get to that, but these gifts are spiritual gifts. And if we don't fully understand what it is to be spiritual, we have no business exercising spiritual gifts. Notice they're not fleshly gifts. And this was Corinth's problem. Everybody wanted to speak in tongues. Why? Because it's cool. Did everybody have the gift of speaking in tongues? No. So it sounded like somebody dropped a bunch of speaking spells down the stairs. That's not speaking in tongues. But it made people look righteous. It made people look holy. It made people look like that they had an in with God that maybe other people didn't, and therefore they were able to be superior and alienate other people or at least have them stand in awe of my righteous standing and position before God because I speak in tongues to him. Everybody see how that has everything to do with me and not he? Everybody see that? That's the problem. So notice, we're not lacking in any gift. Why is that, Christ? Christ makes sure that we're not lacking as a church in any gift. 
Notice this, verse 8, he will confirm you to the end, blameless. When it's all said and done in your position in Christ, God will still look at you blameless at the end of history. Because of you, because of what you've done? No, because of all that Christ has done. And look what it says, verse 9, God is faithful. It's all resting on his promises through whom you were called into, what's the word? Fellowship. Now, I said that mainly, make sure you're still awake. Fellowship with his son. You were called for a reason. You are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit and the intaking of the word of God. That's God's goal for you. Next time you go to potty, read the new little sheets I've got in the potty for you. Theology everywhere. But read it, that's God's goal, is to conform you to the image of Christ. And just if you're curious, guys and girls, they both have the same piece of paper, okay? We didn't modify it for anybody. We're good. We're good. That's his goal. And the way that he wants to do that is he's invited you with open arms into an intimate fellowship with him. He wants to commune with us daily. He wants to hang out. He wants you to know him. He already knows everything about you. But he wants you to know him. Why? Because knowing more about him, I become more like him. Only he tells me the truth. So in verse 10, look what the first word is. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Now. Right? And everybody goes, "Uh uh-oh. Here it is. I exhort you. What's the word exhort means? The same one as in Romans 12.1. I beseech you. I urge you. In other words, it's like somebody saying, please do this. Please pay attention. Please get this. Because of the lofty position they have in Christ, that they did not merit, but Christ freely gives, he's asking something of them. And look what he says. Now I exhort you, brethren, notice, no question about whether or not they're saved, we got that down, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, standing on his word, standing on what he's done, that you all agree. Now you might stop and think, we don't even agree in my house, how am I supposed to agree with everybody at church? Let me ask you a question, how are we supposed to be in full agreement with one another? How? Anybody know? Well, in Christ, yes, that's where we're all at. We're all in that location. Aren't you thankful he didn't leave us dumb? Because right here, it tells us plainly. Because right here, we're to get down with the scriptures, and we're to search them out diligently. And we're to have conversation regarding his word. And when we need to address a problem, we go here to ask the question, how should I handle this? What is the best way to deal with this issue? And we let him lead and we let him guide because we're following his map. I've never known anyone who's come to the word of God and said, I just need to know what to do here. God said, well, I don't think I can help you. God has never turned anyone away who sought him. So if that's the case, notice. If If Paul is pleading for agreement, that means that we got a whole lot of what? disagreement okay that's not good you ever disagreed with somebody at church did you guys disagree with one another before you got here this morning ladies maybe sometimes you disagree with your husband's driving 
Maybe. I love it. There's a couple. The wife is shaking no. The husband's shaking yes. There it is. Disagreement. He wants you all to be in agreement. Look what it says. And that there be no divisions among you. Everybody see this word divisions? This word literally means to tear. It's the idea of you having a fishnet and it's being all torn up and you've got to go back and look and find all the holes and try to piece it all back together into something. Notice it's saying by you not agreeing with one another as the body of Christ in the church at Corinth, you are tearing the church up. And by tearing the church up, you're creating these large, massive holes. Large, massive holes within the church give way to acceptable sin. That sin's okay. You just go on with that. It's great that you're doing that. And it's not good. And so because they have all these holes in their fellowship with one another, you think they got a hole in maybe their fellowship with Christ? Probably something's not clicking. The electricity is not making it to that switch. So if that's the case, there's tears. Look what he says here. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete. Everybody see made complete? It's very interesting because the literal translation of that word means to mend a net. It means instead of you guys disagreeing and tearing each other up, agree and mend the net. Make it whole again. Take the initiative to get beyond your quarrels, your differences, set them aside, and in humility and appreciation for what Christ has done, strive to mend the nets in the holes that are amongst you. Let me ask you a question. Do you have division with someone that's here today? It's a brother or sister in Christ? Are you holding a grudge? I guarantee you, probably most of them don't know it. The only person you're hurting is you because you refuse to forgive. When you don't forgive after a while, it generates into bitterness. And bitter people are useless to the Lord. Why is that? Because you've essentially said, God, get your hands off of it. Because you know when God puts his hands on it, he softens hearts. He excites us to love one another as he has loved us. He is always striving for unity. He always wants us in our division to mend our nets. Maybe that's something we need to come to terms with today and deal with that. Look how he moves on. Notice, be made complete, mend your net, in the same mind. In other words, having the same thinking. I don't know about you, but I ain't no good at thinking on my own. Everybody see the grammar there? Okay, good. Let's make sure my point's proven. But notice that Paul advocates first for like-mindedness. How do we come to like-mindedness? Bible, doctrine. See, here's what ultimately boils down to, and sometimes we don't like this. This really takes a lot of the skin we like to put in the game out of it. God doesn't care about our opinions. He's not a respecter of people. He doesn't value one person's opinion over another person's opinion. He's more concerned with renewing us as his servants to his opinion. Why? Because only his opinion is truth. He's the only person that has truth. 
He has a corner on the market of what is true. Let's paint it in a negative. No one else is telling you the truth. You ever thought about that? Everybody at some point is lying to you. At some point, there's going to be falsehood. At some point, you're going to find a problem. You know what that's going to create? Division. Right? So how are you going to deal with it now that somebody has hurt you because of their untruthfulness? I tell you what, that source of mending those types of nets is not found here. It is only found in Christ. And if we are not in fellowship with him, if we're not understanding of what his word says about those things, we will never mend those nets. And if we cannot mend those nets with one another, what does that say about our fellowship with the Lord? Everybody see how this all works together? To be one and unified in the body of Christ is because it's Christ's body. It's his, not ours. I'm so thankful it's not the body of Jeremy. Good grief. Have a... (laughs) The Lord knows. Imagine how many people would have the spiritual gift of belly. How terrible is that, right? But seriously, that's a very imperfect body. We love to think highly of ourselves apart from the location where we belong. But if we're in Christ, we think lowly of ourselves because we're thinking more about the body of Christ. See, it's all others, not ourselves. Others, 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 others. Watch where he goes with this. Not just that you be of the same mind, like thinking, but you be of the same judgment. Or the word could be translated opinions. Or that you're executing the same decisions. So in other words, because you have mended the nets... And because you are in like-mindedness, thinking according to Bible doctrine, you can now execute sound decisions because you're all going in the same direction. Notice, thinking, action, thinking, action. And thinking, right thinking, has to happen before we have right action. Verse 11. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren. Notice again, saved people. Now watch this. By Chloe's people that there's quarrels among you. Now if the Corinthians don't respond well, Chloe's getting a sock party after they're done reading this letter. Everybody know what a sock party is? Put a bar of soap in a tube sock and you beat somebody with it. Chloe's in trouble. Why? Because she's a snitch. And everybody knows snitches get stitches. Okay? (laughs) It's true. You guys laugh. When I was pastoring resurgence, and we're in the middle of the poverty income neighborhood, shootings going on, drugs and everything, and you would constantly hear the phrase, week in, week out, snitches get stitches. Because as soon as you told on somebody, people were going to be at your house. Aren't you glad that the body of Christ is not like the world? Chloe has some hope here. We don't need to pray for her. She's okay. But you almost are concerned about what you tell Paul now, right? He might throw me under the bus later. I tell you what he's doing is he's resolving something rightly. He really is. Such and such said this. If it's not true, you need to take it up and figure out where the disagreement is. Chloe actually says that there's quarrels amongst you. There's discord There's strife. 
Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, which is Peter, and I of Christ. And you sit there and you, you kind of rub your brow and you go, at least I got the last one right. Actually, probably what chances were is that what they had done in this situation is the people who were the I am of Christ people were probably excluding the other three groups. Now, here's the thing. We have a problem today with denominations across the board because we can't agree on this book, which I think is very interesting, which tells me that there's very little humility in approaching it. But we're talking about four denominations in the same church. Can you imagine? What side do you guys want to be on? Who are you with? You're with Christ. Because <laughs> that's the safe one. And see, they love that they got to choose first because now it makes them look holy. We're right on. I don't know what those other three are doing. Now here's a question. Where are we at over here? No, 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 no. Christ is already taken and you can't move chairs. Oh, Jeremy. Oh, my gosh. So we're going to set this group on fire now and be done with it. Does everybody see how crazy that is? I mean, just right here playing with it. We've got a lot of back and forth and, oh, this just isn't good. It's not good. And these were, don't you know I was baptized by Paul? We'll see how that works out. Verse 13, here are three questions. Let's answer them, church. Has Christ been divided? No. Now that seems hard to grasp. The body of Christ has not been divided. Which means in order to have a healthy church, you must have a unified church. And it must be unified around the Word of God. That's it. That's all. Christ has not been divided. How about the next part? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? No. Thank God, no. Why? Because Paul's not God. Because Paul has one life that is tainted. The wages of sin is what? Death. That means he can only die one time for one sin. And chances are, I'm going to bet, he's already committed at least one sin. So all he can do is pay for one sin with his life. You say, that's pretty harsh. That's what it is to serve a holy God. He is so holy that one sin disqualifies us. Paul would immediately put us all in the disqualified realm. Why? Because his crucifixion would have been nothing but a murder. There would have been no hope in it. There would have been no help in it. So notice the correction that he's given them. Don't lift me up, he's telling them. You're looking at the wrong things. Look at the last question he asks here. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. No, I love it. Because Paul finally pulls back the curtain on a lot of misunderstanding regarding salvation in the Scripture. Pay close attention. I'm going to make a comment that's not going to go over well with some people. And then we'll move on. You guys love it when I do that. Verse 14. I thank God 
that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Reason, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. I'm thankful that out of all the people that came to Christ, I only baptized two of them. Why? Because everybody's more concerned about who they were baptized by rather than who saved them. Everybody see where the bragging rights are wrong. See, that's the problem. We're boasting in the wrong stuff. If you went on the great Alaska cruise with Chuck Swindoll, awesome. You didn't get any closer to Jesus by doing that. You should have saved your $35.99. If you want to go to the Holy Land of Israel, awesome. It's going to be amazing, informative. Some of you have. Fantastic. That's great. It doesn't draw you any more to Jesus. Why? Because you can't get any closer to Jesus than you are now. You are already one with him. If the reason why you would go to Israel is to get closer to Jesus, then your whole system is based on emotion, not fact. Your F train is out of whack. Your feelings are running the course. Baptized in the Jordan River. That's cool. Were you already baptized before? Yeah. What was wrong with that one? Well, you don't understand. The water is kind of, no, no. I know the person who's baptized before me. I don't trust them. Minister didn't wear white. How shallow are we? Good grief. Think the Jordan River cleanses you more than another one does? Right? Silver Lake not good enough for you? You know? I mean, what, what, what's really the problem there? Everybody see we get hung up on such silly little things that create strife and division. And it has no need to. And what's Paul saying? I'm glad that I can only think of two people I baptized. Why is that, Paul? Look what he says here. Verse 16. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Notice he's kind of remembering as he writes. We don't know how many people that was, but let's say three more. He baptized a total of five people that they know of. That's great. But look what he says here. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. You know the great thing about Paul? He wasn't keeping score. He didn't have a tree somewhere. Okay, we got four more today. He started notching them in. He didn't do that. Why is that? Here's the thing. Because Paul didn't care. Because Paul understands that baptism is simply a response to what Jesus has already done, and it has no saving merit at all. Our Lutheran friends and our Catholic friends are wrong. And they are wrong, especially in their gospel presentation, if they want to include baptism to their detriment. We'll talk about that why here in just a second. Look what it says, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Everybody see that? The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has just made a claim under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God didn't send me to baptize people. That's not why I'm here. If anything, baptism had caused more division than it had unity. And if I know Paul well enough from some of his writings, he would say, you know what, if it causes more division than unity, then we need to just bypass it altogether and not even do it. Everybody needs to get retrained on their position in Christ, and then we can introduce it later, because then everybody can mentally and spiritually handle it. Everybody had gotten fleshly about appearances. 
and they were boasting in the wrong things. You know what? I thank God I didn't baptize any of you, is what he's saying. He didn't send me to baptize. It's not why I'm here. It's not my mission. That's not what matters. Look what he says. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in wisdom of speech, not in cleverness, not in trying to convince you that I'm a smart person, not to convince you that I just didn't roll in off the street, not to try to parade documents of accreditation before you. That's not the goal. Because then it becomes about Paul and what Paul can be. There's going to come a day when I will no longer be the pastor here. I'm hoping that I bust a jugular because I'm preaching something. The Lord blesses it because 14 people heard and got saved, believed in Christ, and then I tap out and die. I'm going for around 77 to 84. That's what I'm hoping for. It's a pretty good long life. And when we get closer to that time, I'll make sure that we got the wheelchair in the back so you can slap me on there and just wheel me on out of here. But when you roll me out in the street, does the church go on? Absolutely. Why? Because we ain't praying to Jeremy. You're not baptizing the name of Jeremy and Jeremy wasn't crucified for you? Or neither was Tom or neither was Jerry or neither was Chuck or neither was anybody else in here. Christ is the focus. And all these periphery, peripheral? Peripheral issues, Kentucky education. All these tertiary items that we love to bicker over have no value or weight in the conversation. If we could just get in agreement about one thing, and I'm saying now that we're in disagreement, we're not in a Corinth situation here, but think about this. If we only cared about what Paul cared about, which is Christ. That's it. I came to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech. Why? So that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Everybody see that word, void. It's the same word that's used in Philippians 2.9 of the kenosis of Jesus Christ. The emptying of himself so that he would take on the form of a servant while on earth. And this can also be translated as the idea as veiled. His glory was veiled while he was in this bodily containment on earth. Now that's a positive thing in Philippians 2. It's an extremely negative thing here in 1 Corinthians 1.17. Why? Think about what it's saying. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. Why? Because if he did that, the cross of Christ would be made empty. It would be veiled. It would cover up the true thing that saves. Because I would be winning people to how well I speak, not to the fact that they are a grave sinner and on the way to hell because of their own personal responsibility of damnation before God, and they need rescue out of this predicament, and they cannot save themselves. And this is why Jesus died. 
Having no sin, he became sin. Why? So that you and I could become the righteousness of God. How do I become the righteousness of God so that God will fully accept me? You believe and you are saved. See, Paul knows something about this when you're dealing with division. You get rid of all the extraneous things and you boil it down to brass tacks and you pay attention to the one thing, Christ crucified, period. That's it. Why? Because only Jesus Christ is the great unifier. Everybody notice all these movements and everybody's trying to get unified? You saw how quickly the unified democratic movement... Oh, I'm going there, dude. All you had to do was put nine of them on a stage with a mic in front of them and you recognize how divided everybody is. Here's the thing, guys. You put Republicans up there, you're going to get the same thing. Why? Well, we stand for these values and these issues. Hold the phone. You guys are so busy throwing each other under the bus, we don't know what you believe. And if you ever notice, sometimes when they talk, you just go, they're freaking crazy. What's wrong with these people? (laughs) Division abounds. See, this is the reason why the Word of God is free of error. No one's ever found a falsehood in it. No one's ever found a place where it was inconsistent. No one's ever found a lie. Because everything that we are to be in like-mindedness about and make decisions about doesn't stem from, well, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go in that direction. That's the wrong way to do it. Opinions are nothing. The Word of God is everything. And if we would just center in on the fact of Christ... We wouldn't have a problem. Why? Because he is the only person that can unify us. You say, well, I don't know. The church seems so divided. You know what? It does because of the flesh. The self-life has become a priority in the church. But let me tell you this. If you're wondering where unity in the church is, that's the secret to unity. Do you realize that we already have unity in Christ? It's already a done deal. He already died for it, so sin's not an issue anymore. He's already taken care of it, and he's raised to a newness of life, and all who believe him now change locations and are in Christ. And when you are in Christ as a believer, guess what? You're already unified. Whether you choose to live in that newness of life or not is on you. We either accept that there's an already unity in place that Christ has provided, or we live in such a way as to where we anticipate friction every time we get with church people. Does that make sense? He is the great unifier. Let me show you this and then we'll wrap it up. Turn with me quickly over to Colossians 1. I'm going to try not to take any more time than I need to. Colossians 1. Look at verse 16. Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created. Why? He's the creator. Everything that has been made has been created. Even Satan? Yes, even Satan. God did not force Satan's hand. Remember, you were an anointed cherub until there was righteousness found, uh, sorry, unrighteousness found within you. Personal responsibility. God created him good. What he did with it after that was on him. And he's held accountable. Notice. By Christ, all things have been created. Look what it says. Both in the heavens and on earth. Both visible and invisible. Whether thrones 
or dominions or rulers or authorities. Which, by the way, all four of those categories are categories of angels and demons. It's the idea of fallen angels. They all have certain ranks like an army in the unseen realm. Doesn't matter what they are. He created every bit of them. And look what it says here. All things have been created through him and, uh uh-oh, not only did he create them and give them a free will, but they actually all belong to him. Now, if they've strayed, here's what this means. It means that because he has ownership on them, they will all turn around and come back to him at some point. And here's the fearful thing. If human beings do not come to Christ in faith, in this life, will they go to hell? Yes. Because God wanted to send them there? Absolutely not. God does not take the pleasure of anyone's death. But people choose to go there when they don't believe in Christ. See, this is why we share the gospel. Jesus Christ has died from your sins and he's risen from the grave. Do you believe him? That's a question that you need to answer right now. If you do, you have eternal life. Your sins have already been fully and freely forgiven. You are now in Christ. That's your location. You've been given a new identity, a brand new life. You are a new creation in him. If you are apart from Christ, you will be in the lake of fire. So if you don't answer that question and come to that decision now, and if you end up in the lake of fire, guess what? You were still made for him because we're told every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess, and it doesn't matter if it's above the earth, on the earth, or under the earth. It doesn't matter where you are location-wise in that situation. Saved or unsaved in the scope of eternity, every single person will bow to Jesus Christ. Why? Because only he's the creator. Only he can save. Only he changes a heart. Only he unifies. Why is he the only unifier? Because all things were made through him and for him. Look what it says in 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everybody see hold together? All things cohere. Now here's what's interesting about that. You look up that word in a dictionary, cohere. And it immediately goes to the idea of how molecules interact with one another and stay in formations. Do you realize that the only reason why your skin holds together right now is because Jesus Christ has deemed it so? Think about it, guys. He's more intimately involved in your life than you understand whether you believe him or not. Well, that's science. Well, that's science. Ever notice that science is always making a discovery? That means something was already there and they're just now finding out. Recognize God's the one who did it. So all things hold together in him. Look at verse 18. He's also the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means a place of honor. That's what that means. He's the first one to be resurrected to a newness of life. So that, here's the reason, he himself will come to have first place in everything. Some of your translations say preeminence. In other words, he's number one. He's number one, and we are not number one A, okay? He is number one. He is the pinnacle. He is the chief. He is in charge. He is the only one. Notice it says here, verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And if you're in him, guess what that means about you? Think about it. Verse 20, and through him, here's the great word, to reconcile all things. Have you reconciled with anybody recently? 
The word reconciliation means to come back into the relationship that you should have been in the first place. Everybody see that? Notice what it says. And through him, Christ, to reconcile all things to who? Himself, which means all the work is done by him. It needs to be received by you. He's doing the reconciling work. He is the one, not us. We don't work to reconcile with him. We simply accept accept the reconciliation he's already made. Look what it says here. To reconcile all things to himself, having made, what's the word, church? Peace. Do you realize right now you have peace? I don't feel like I have peace. Aren't you glad your situation is not based on your feelings? What does the Word of God tell you? You have peace. You have peace. Isn't peace something that we're just dying to have all the time? We're always going for peace. Let's try to make peace. Let's sign a peace treaty. We just want world peace. Okay, Miss America, how are you going to get it to us? Notice the Word of God tells us. What's it say? Look having made peace through the blood of His cross. Sin is the problem. It's the dividing wall between us and the relationship that we always should have been in with God from the get-go. And so because there is a fracture, a tear, a destroyed area, and we can never make it to God, God comes to us in the form of Christ and he dies and when he sheds his blood, he pays for all sin, every sin. And everything that divided us from God, gone. It's like being in prison, penitentiary and you're out in the courtyard and you're walking, you're like, good grief, this is a high wall and there's all kinds of barbed wire at the top. How am I going to get past it? Imagine somebody coming in and just moving the wall out of the way and say, go. That's the power of the cross. That's why Christ is central. Because a lot of these things that we wish we had, whether in life or in the body, we actually already have in Christ. So he's made peace by his blood on the cross. And notice, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. But notice the location. In who? Christ. He is the great unifier. He is the great reconciler. If our boast is upon anything else, spiritual or not, or seemingly with the appearance of spirituality, if it is not centrally focused on Christ, we are wrong. We are wrong. And if that has caused division in the body of Christ, it's time to recognize the unity that we already have and the peace that we already have in Him. And because of that fact, take up the mantle to mend some nets. Let's pray together. God, I pray that our understanding is opened. That we would grasp the reason why Christ must be central, of necessity. If He is off-center in our understanding for one moment, all is wrong. There is no other name that's been given 
whereby we must be saved. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, if we're here and we do not have eternal life, we know right now we are not saved. I pray, Father, we would just trust your word. God loves the world. He gave his son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but has everlasting life. Pray we'd answer the question today, are we convinced that it's true? And if we've said yes, we have everlasting life that can never be lost. Thank you, Jesus. We've torn nets here. We've boasted in the wrong things. If we've subscribed to people rather than Christ, this is a good time for confession. To mend those nets and to mend our fellowship with you. Thank you that you've made peace by the blood of the cross. Teach us what that means. We ask it in the name of our Lord. Amen. Stand and sing number 501, Now I Belong to Jesus. Jesus.